What is up, everyone, and welcome to episode 467 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, punch down on that subscribe button wherever you tune into the show. Today's episode, Wes Goldberg of Locked on Heat joins in to talk game one of Knicks vs. Heat, Jimmy's ankle, Vic's unfortunate injury, and Steph Curry. Lights the beam himself in Sacramento, drops 50, and closes out the series with a win. The Warriors advance. We talk about all that and more on this episode of Combos Court. Big shouts to Wes. Go subscribe to Locked on Heat. You know you can catch me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the show, Locked On Heat. Everything is good in Miami, huh? Everything's feeling pretty good in Miami, and it's like 70 degrees out today, so it's beautiful. Everything's coming up Miami right now. <laughs> not quite 70 here, but not too bad. Um, the people that aren't too happy right now are the Knicks fans because they lost a tough one in the Garden. The game actually started out pretty well for them. Um, what were your biggest takeaways from the game? But not only that, how did the Heat slow down the Knicks as the game progressed? I think my biggest takeaway just was in general, the Miami Heat understood the assignment going into that Knicks game. Uh, I think coaching is going to be sort of one of the battlegrounds in this series uh, between Eric Spolster and Tom Thibodeau, a much more even kind of coaching matchup uh, than what the Heat were dealing with in round one and then what the Knicks were dealing with uh, in round one. Um, Both of these guys have been around for a long time and have coached a lot of playoff games in the NBA, and and it's going to be interesting to see how they adjust. But I thought Spo one-upped Tibbs from – the, the get-go in game one, um, look, they knew exactly what shooters to play off of. They knew exactly uh, how to how they wanted to go about guarding Jalen Brunson, kind of putting a wall in front of them and making the other guys uh, beat them. Offensively, they knew that they had to get into their three-point looks. They knew exactly what kind of defense the Knicks were going to play. They were quick to get to those three-pointers because they play kind of this uh, sort of drop, but not as aggressive as the Milwaukee Bucks, so they were not going to have as much space and time to get those shots off. Uh, because the Knicks centers are going to come up closer to the level of the screen. So Gabe Vincent was like, all right, like as soon as I get like a little smidge of an opening, I'm going to let it fly. And then he did. He took like eight threes in the first quarter. This is a long way about saying it, but basically I I thought the Heat, they had the game plan ready to go and they executed the game plan for the most part. Um, And that to me, if I'm a Heat fan, makes me feel really good. If I'm a Knicks fan, my biggest takeaway is we got a bunch of open threes and we missed a bunch of open threes. And so what does this look like if I'm making more three-pointers? What does it look like if Julius Randle comes back? Obviously, I'm sure we'll get into the Jimmy Butler ankle injury, um, and that's going to be a factor in this series. But overall, I just thought that the Heat were the more prepared, uh, better coach team in game one. Yeah, I, I guess we could also look back to even look forward because I thought some of the criticism of from Bud for Bud – I thought some of it wasn't fair. Obviously, he's not making the greatest adjustments. He's always been that type of coach, and Tibbs is of the same mold. Prayers is with his family because crazy news came out yes. after that, of course. Um, but 
in fairness to Tibbs and Bud, I don't think it's as much of them committing coaching malpractice as just showing how good the Heat are. Like, they have been overachieving with a talent deficit for a very long time. Yep. Yeah. Um, and again, that's a credit to Spo. Um, it's a little bit of uh, like perfect reg positive regression to the mean at the exact right time when they needed it. I mean, you can't argue that the Miami Heat are playing their best basketball of the season right now. And it just so happens that they're doing that at the time of the playoffs happening. So it's been good. I don't mean to say that it was malpractice by Tibbs. And yeah, I use that. I use that. I use that word, not you. And I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I don't think, think I, and I don't think is, they come and I don't think they committed it at the same time, you know? Right. And I think it is to your point, more of a credit to the heat and, and yes. specifically to Spo in terms of my coaching point there. Um, look, I, <laughs> I've said this for a very long time. I thought Spolster, I think Spolster is the best coach in the NBA. I agree. I don't think it's close. And I think yeah. it's been that way for probably half a decade now. Um, the way that he gets his, the way that he's able to connect with his high end players, look no further than Jimmy Butler, who just wasn't able to connect with coaches in previous stops, including Tibbs. And Tibbs would admit that and has admitted it publicly. Um, and then from everybody down to the the Duncan Robinsons and the Caleb Martins and the Max Struces and Gabe Vincents of the world, like there's very few coaches that could connect in that way. And then obviously you've got all the game plan and in-game adjustments and all that kind of stuff that we talk all the time about. But um, yeah, I think I, I do. I, I My main takeaway is a, it's a credit to the Heat, what they've been able to do in these playoffs. I'm still struggling to explain it other than, wow, Jimmy Butler's awesome. And now all of a sudden they started making their threes. But sometimes this kind of thing happens. During the course of the game, what did you see the Heat doing to mitigate Brunson? Or do you feel it was just more of an off night from Brunson? A little bit of both. Uh, I thought they got him out of the rhythm a little bit. He missed six of his three-pointers. That's never going to happen again in this series, right? Like, So there was a, some of it. And I think Jalen Brunson even said after the game that he that he played terribly and, and he owned it. And so um, I think there's part of it. But I also think that the Heat said, you know what? Let's make sure that we're showing him bodies. We're going to be prepared. He likes to uh, come off the point of attack. One of the big swings in this game was that the Heat gave up, I think it was like 22 points in the paint in the first quarter. And then after that, um, they basically tightened up right after that. They only gave up 20 points in the paint in the entire second half. Um, a lot of that is Jalen Brunson, right? We know what he's going to do with that point of attack, coming off those screens, getting into the paint, shimmy shouldering, pivoting, head faking his way into baskets and floaters and things like that. And they took a lot of that away from him. Uh, he still got to some of those spots, but just it wasn't as effective and it wasn't what they needed from Jalen Brunson. So I think it was a little bit of both. We know Jalen Brunson made Julius Randle's life easier over the course of the season, but it could be vice versa as well, right? Like it's easier to wall up on Brunson when there's no Randle. Yeah, I think that's a huge swing factor. Like I, I said, maybe the biggest X factor in this series going into it, going into game one was Julius Randle's health. Um, he's a guy offensively, obviously you're getting 20 and 10 from him, right? Um, he's had a great year for them. He's kind of bought into his role. He kind of create, he gives you that more high variance. Cause like if Julius Randle is hundred percent healthy in a series, He'll win you a game, right? Just he'll have one of those big Julius Randle nights. He won them a game in the regular season, hitting that miracle turnaround crazy three-pointer in Miami. That's what swung that the regular season series the Knicks way. So um, not having him, Obi Toppin's been good at power forward, but he's not giving, like, you're not worried about him off the bounce, right? You could play off of him in the corner. If he catches it, then you kind of close out on him. With Julius Randle, he could beat you off the bounce. And then defensively, I actually think Randle, like, that's not his strong suit. He's not known for it. But in the regular season matchups, just another big body that, they, that they'll that sometimes sort of experiment throwing at Jimmy Butler because Butler is going to barrel his way through most players. He's not doing that against Julius Randle. So they'll start – they'll throw him as like a help side defender at Jimmy Butler every once in a while. And he just stands up to that, that Jimmy Butler cocktail a little bit more than guys like Obi Toppin or anybody else at the Knicks have.
Yeah, neither team is fully healthy, most notably on the Heat, Tyler Hero. Yeah. Has there been some advantages of him not playing when it comes to game managing and also a player that you can't hunt in pick and roll or overall in general? I don't know that there's an advantage. Uh, it does make the rotation a little bit cleaner. Spolstra is basically gone since him and Victor Oladipo got hurt. One of Max Struess and Duncan Robinson is going to be at the court on the court at all times, and whichever one has the hot hand is going to finish the game. So it is a little bit easier to read for for Spo in that sense of who do I want in sort of the closing moments of these games. But they really miss his shot creation. It's why Gabe Vincent has had to step up and take 16 shot attempts in, in game one and things like that. Um, having Tyler Hero, and, and he's played the Knicks really well, not just this season, but historically. And so he almost won the Heat a game at Madison Square Garden this year. Had an open look from three and, and just rimmed out. But um, yeah, I, I, I think there is something to be said about maybe having the rotations be a little bit cleaner. That's probably more of a um, sort of a dividend of Victor Oladipo getting hurt than Tyler Hero getting hurt. Um, and in terms of defensively, I actually thought Tyler has been pretty good defensively this year compared to where he was in previous seasons. They're still going to, any team that the Heat play are still going to target Max Drews. They're still going to target Duncan Robinson. They're still going to do all those things. Uh, the Heat have just have so much experience covering for those guys, uh, specifically in the playoffs too, that it kind of feels like that sort of, a, a, you know, take it out of the recycling bin, uncrumple the piece of paper, and that's your game plan for how you cover for those guys. And they can kind of just rinse and repeat every playoffs. Um, so I don't know. I, I I've seen that take out there that it's sort of been easier for them to manage without Tyler Hero, but I would still say when push comes to shove, uh, there'll be moments where Tyler Hero is missed. Yeah, the Vic story is just super sad. Like one of the more underrated, underrated, sadder stories mm -hmm. of this playoffs because he went through so much to get back, and right when he started to look a little bit like the old Vic, that injury, and then you see him say it's over. And he's not talking about the series when he's saying it's over. Like, it's more than that. And it's really sad. Heartbreaking, man. I wrote a story for The Ringer about Victor Oladipo's rehab and his comeback last year. That wow. was two knee injuries ago. Was yeah. supposed to be the comeback, man. Like, it's it's been a really rough four years from him. And you think about where he was at the top of the world. Um, just a quick story, I guess. I'll be, I'll be fast about it. But, like, the lead to my story for The Ringer was when he's playing for the Indiana Pacers, obviously where he played uh, college ball and stuff like that, he's at an Indianapolis Colts game. And I guess the Colts have this, like this tradition of before the game, they bring like a, like a, like a, I don't know, whatever the Colt thing is. It's not a gong, but it's a big metal thing. And you take a hammer and you whack it and it makes a noise and everybody at, at the stadium goes crazy. And that's sort of reserved for the, for the celebrity, like the A-list person at the arena, at, at the stadium. And it was Victor Oladipo for this big Colts home game, like week three or week four. And he walks in, he rings the thing. Everybody's going nuts. They're going he's on the Jumbotron. People are going crazy because he's like the guy after Paul George. He's the star. He's the biggest star. No more Peyton Manning with the Colts. He's the biggest star in sports in that city. And then the injuries start. Not even like two months after that. And he just has not been able to get right. This is a guy who's on the top of the world, all NBA, star of his hometown, had the keys to the city. And then you see that moment, just like you did a couple weeks ago, where he's laying on the floor, just distraught not crying, not even angry, just just like in disbelief, just almost in shock. Um, just really sad to see how his career ended up. Yeah, and he's a, a guy... I didn't mean to be a bummer. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, it's, it, it's part of the story. I mean, it's part of the story of the Heat this season. And I think what even makes it sad from a basketball standpoint, Vic at his best or even 90% of his best, like add something to the Heat in terms of like burst and speed and transition that they don't really have. 
Yeah, and I thought that matchup specifically against Milwaukee was really was a strong one for him because they needed just guys who could chase and uh, you know, Giannis if he when when he was healthy, Middleton and Drew Holiday around. And even in this series, you could say the same thing, right? Like Quentin Grimes could take uh sorry, Grimes could take you off the bounce. Josh Hart has his moments. Emmanuel quickly obviously has not it's not been an awesome playoff series for him, but he's only it's only a matter of time before he explodes for a big yeah. game. Um, Jalen Brunson goes without saying, like you just want as many bodies as possible. And then against a team like both Milwaukee and New York, who don't commit a lot of turnovers, that's sort of what Oladipo does is create turnovers for you and get out in transition. So not one, but really like two matchups where the Heat really could have used them. Um, it would have been a good way to sort of bounce back in an otherwise lost season for them. Unfortunately, that's not the case. From one unfortunate injury to another, we obviously have to talk about Jimmy Butler, another great performance. Uh, he's been nothing short of amazing. Are there any updates when it comes to his injury? And how do you feel like the Knicks handled it when he was, he turned into like Jimmy decoy in the, in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's crazy. He stayed on the floor. Kudos to him. Such a warrior. But how do you think the Knicks handled it? And do you have an update for us when it comes to Jimmy Butler? Yeah, I'll do the update part quick. No update other than the fact that they're monitoring him. He's going to be going around the clock treatment. I can only imagine like Jimmy Butler, his Instagram is usually filled of him like walking around whatever city the heat are in, like trying coffee and eating cookies and ice cream and going shopping wherever it is until like 15 minutes before tip. And then he just goes out there and drops 40. Um, I would imagine that that's not going to be his Instagram over the next few days. It's going to be a lot of, or it's going to be a lot of getting IVs, getting the, the ankle looked at the treatment and all that stuff. So it's going to be around the clock. Uh, the heat basically said they're going to figure it out like minutes before tip off in game two, which is the most predictable thing that the heat could have said. Like that's how the heat handle almost every injury. Um, they don't, they, it's a little bit of gamesmanship. They've gotten fined for it before. doesn't matter. They don't seem to care. Um, so that's the update, uh, more of a non-update, but that's it. And then in terms of what the Knicks did, you used the word malpractice earlier. There it is. Malpractice. <laughs> um, unbelievable how they did not target Jimmy Butler on either end. Jimmy Butler is literally going into the corner, practicing his jumper. They he transformed into PJ Tucker for four minutes, right? Where he just goes in the corner practicing his jumper and you still have Josh Hart, maybe your best defender on the court in that moment on him still. While right, Kyle Lowry right. is just uncorking vintage, like Kyle Lowry Cabernet all over you. And you're just like, yeah, we're just going to keep Josh Hart plugged into the corner here. Um, so you not only are ignoring, uh, you're, you're basically taking your best def wing defender out of the, out of the defensive possessions. And then offensively, there was no chance to ever target. Like you, there was a chance to target him over and over again. Take his guy, drag him into the pick and roll, and then go after him. He was limping up the court. I don't think it was a. It, he was faking it. And even if you thought maybe he was faking it, at least test and and see if he was faking it, right? And um, there was one play. It was really bad where RJ Barrett actually did have the ball. Jimmy was involved in the screen, and then he got Jimmy switched off of him. Called for another screen. And you're like, what are you doing right now? So it was a lack of awareness. I think the Knicks were asked about it after the game. And they're like, well, you never really know in the throes of a game what's really going on. These ankle things are weird, I guess. But just try it once, maybe, just one time. And that was, to me, that was malpractice. That was, if I'm a Knicks fan, I'm, I'm going crazy over that. Because when Jimmy got hurt, it was a three-point game. It was, right. um, and so that game was very much up in the air. And instead of the Knicks going on a run, which they definitely could have, it was the Heat going on a 7-0 run to close the game. You mentioned Kyle and Spo talked about how much of a warrior he is and he's feeling better than ever right now. And we see the championship pedigree when it comes to him and Kevin Love. How much of an impact have you seen from them? Because as much as we praise the um, Heat coaching staff and obviously Jimmy Butler, 
like, I don't think without Kyle or Kevin, they could have even made it this far. And, you know, it showed like the Cavs could have really used Kevin Love and for the Heat to see that this was a guy with championship pedigree, bring him in. Just a great move by the front office, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. They've been so big uh, in stabilizing that bench, right? For uh, yeah. the regular season and then the start of the playoffs. And then Kevin Love obviously moves into the starting lineup and was huge against the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm with you. They don't make it past Milwaukee without those two guys, especially with all the injuries right. that they had to deal with. Um, Yeah, the championship pedigree is what the Heat were looking for. They started bringing Kyle Lowry off the bench when he came back from that injury, uh, in part because they wanted to save him for the playoffs. They didn't want a repeat of last year where he was clearly hobbled in the postseason. They wanted him to be as fresh as possible, and you're seeing that. They limited him to like 20, 24 minutes a game in the regular season. He played 30 minutes last night against the Knicks, you know? So um he's been awesome for them and 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 this was sort of the plan so credit to Kyle Lowry for buying into that plan because that's not easy for somebody with his you know resume to do in the regular season start coming off the bench for Gabe Vincent are you kidding me this guy went undrafted I won a championship no he bought in he did it and and he's still buying in he's still coming off the bench in the playoffs but he's been really important he's closing a lot of these games and then in terms of Kevin Love this is exactly what they needed just from an X's and O's standpoint, they needed a, a guy with size who could stretch the floor next to Bam. We've seen them use this formula before, whether it's P.J. Tucker, Myers Leonard, Kelly Olenek, you know, Kevin Love is the next in that cycle. And then in terms of just sort of like the personality part of it that you were hitting on, like three outlet passes in a row yeah. against the Knicks. One of the, be that, one of the best ever at the outlet pass. He, is yeah. there another player in the NBA who would ever do that? Oh, no. I mean, Wes Unskitch maybe? Like yeah, Jokic. Yeah, Jokic is more of a half court passer, half -court but obviously, guy, right? yeah, ha obviously he makes some great passes in transition. Not usually from that deep, but he can. I mean, the guy played water polo, so there is some of that there. But right. I don't think he's on Kevin Love's level when it comes to the outlet pass. I think the only one you could compare him to is Wes Unseld, and that's yep. about it. You know, yeah, who who he's named after? His middle name is Wes. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so Wes is stand up. Let's go. Uh, I I think that um. When you have things like that's what stands out to me about these kinds of guys. Lowry, too, man. Like, I think we get so caught up in the NBA, like the analytic part of it of like, oh, you know, you made this many threes and you're doing this for mid range and that's not efficient anymore. And you want to get to the basket more and play this kind of defense. And this is why you do drop. And this is why you blah, blah, blah. The averages, all this stuff. I love like the playoffs to me. It's obviously some about that, right? But it's so much more about like the gray areas in a basketball game, the little, the little timely buckets. Like, I mean, we're talking about. One basket that could decide a game that could decide a series, right? Like the little stuff on the margins matters so much. And when you have players that are experienced like Lowry and Kevin Love who can just manufacture points, like the Heat had no business scoring on those three straight possessions. But Kevin Love just found three straight outlet passes. Like, I'm just going to manufacture this. This is man-made transition points just out of nowhere. I'm just going to take, I'm just going to create this water into wine kind of thing. And there's just not a lot of guys who are young that can do that. There's not a lot of guys who are old in the NBA, like we just discussed that are doing that right now. Um, that's the exciting stuff about the playoffs. Most definitely. Let's end with a non-heat topic because last night, Steph Curry lit the beam, dropped 50. That was my favorite part, man. Like stuff like that makes the playoffs. You know, the dude dropped 50 on the Kings and like the beam is like the pride and joy of Sacramento. Yeah. And then he just lights the beam on them. Like that was hilarious, Wes. That was just incredible. <laughs> uh, you. <laughs> I, like the rest of the world, love Steph Curry. Unbelievable <laughs> performance. I, I wrote about it today, actually, for Fansighted. It reminded me of, like, John Wick, just going into the warehouse at the climax <laughs> scene and just unloading the clip. It was just 
I think some of these things are so exciting because it's unpredictable, yeah. right? You never know when that 50 game, that, that 50 pointer is going to come, except only like, I think we all predicted a big game from Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. And that almost makes it more special. It's like him and, and LeBron, I, to me, are like the only two guys who you could just like, their team needs a big game, pencil it in, it's going to happen. Like, you're just not sure. Even about, and, like, and the now they're about to match superstars. up. And now they're yeah. about to play each other. Yeah. Um, like, he 38 shot attempts in that game, man. That's the most he's ever had in a playoff game. Second before that was in 2013, 10 years ago, 35 against the Spurs. He went in there, John Wick style, warehouse full of dudes, a bunch of goons, and he just unloaded the clip, and he just went for it. And he was like, we're not leaving here. You killed my dog. And that was it. Like, that was it. And it was so cool to watch. It was thrilling. Yeah, there's a case to be made. I mean, you talked about analytics earlier, not to bring this into an analytical conversation, that maybe throughout Steph's whole career, he probably should have shot even more. (laughs) I have been saying this. So, you know, I covered the Warriors for a couple of years uh, out out in San Francisco. And kind of one of my things that I kept saying for like a couple of years there was, why isn't he shooting 17 threes a game? Yeah. Why like, not? why is it kind of always hovering around 12, 13? Like, why is this guy shooting 23s a game? Like, it it's, never... probably, it's probably because he wants to keep his team in rhythm, right? Understood. Yeah. Understood. Totally. Yeah. And and he's a team guy and he's unselfish. But, like, there was a couple of years there where it's like, I don't know if you really need to get Glenn Robinson the third involved. You know what I mean? Like, in those uh, yeah. down years, it was sort of like, just go out, man. Just go out yeah. and shoot. And, like, if you're picking up the pace and you're getting more and more possessions, those numbers sort of inflate with it. But, um, yeah, you could say, like, it, it is a sort of a thing. Like, hey. Maybe the Warriors should run more pick and roll with Steph and Draymond. Like it works so well and the numbers are so great on it and all that stuff. So I'm never going to second guess what it is that the Warriors did necessarily and what him and Steve Kerr and that whole group has done over the last decade. But it is so fun to watch when he's just going out trying to catch bodies like that. There is Wes. Where can we find you? Great stuff. You're always welcome back on the show. Talk to us. Let us know where we can consume your content, man. Sure. Social media is WC Goldberg. Um, and then uh, I've got a, a column every Monday morning coming out on uh, fansided.com's NBA vertical. It's called The Step Back. You can check that out. Uh, I usually tweet it out. You can visit the site every Monday. I kind of write the biggest story from the weekend. And then uh, Locked on NBA, if you want NBA thoughts, uh, Thursday night going into Friday morning. Uh, we recap all the action on Thursday night, talk about the biggest stories, me and Adam Mades from DNVR Sports. Um, and then if you want to ca- stick with the, the heat and all the updates going on throughout the playoffs, Locked on Heat, Daily Miami Heat podcast. And now I'm the uh, editor-in-chief of allyoucanheat.com. So you can find my written work over there, too, on the heat. So you have a full show with Adam? I just had him on the pod, actually. You guys you? do a – yeah. Yeah, uh, Locked on NBA is like – it's just like that daily NBA show, and we just sort okay. of rotate who co-hosts each night. And okay. me and Adam have been doing the Thursday night show, which oh, nice. is – sweet because you always have like a primetime game like on yeah. tnt on thursday night it's always a good right. game so we're always talking about it thursday night he's great we, I, he I is great about he that. is great wes and adam everywhere man uh wes thank you so much for taking the time you're always welcome back on the show and we'll talk soon thanks man there it was episode four six seven is in the books thank you to everyone who tunes to the show across the globe don't forget to rate review punch down on that subscribe button big shouts to wes for joining in we appreciate you and be on the lookout for episode 468 combo out.